You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to the NBDA's Bicycle Retail Radio podcast. I'm Fred Clements, and I'll be hosting today. And we're here with Peter Henry, who is one of the owners of Landry's Bike Shops in the Boston area. Hi, Peter. Hi, Fred. Yeah, so a little bit about Landry's for those that don't know, seven locations and in the greater Boston area, probably to be employee owned, but now not quite there, I guess, and been in business according to the website since 1922, even though that sounds like a long time, and I guess it is. Yeah, so the topic today is one that is troubling to us all, of course, it's the coronavirus. I want to make sure that we clarify that today is March 25th, 2020. Things seem to be really fluid, moving very quickly, and we'd hate to put out bad information. So, you know, listen to this, if you will, with the understanding that it's a specific point in time. We have, it's impacting us all at this point, including businesses that are being forced to close, some allowed to stay open, consumers in some states locked down, in some states allowed to go out on a limited basis, and some without controls at all, I think. And so businesses, of course, are being affected and people's employment being affected. Our focus today is a narrow one on bike shops, some of which are closed, some of which are open. And of those open, some are taking a whole different approach than the norm for running the business and protecting staff and consumers. Some bike shops in some states are allowed as essential businesses, uh, given the service and repair needs of the transportation community out there using bicycles, some not. And so the whole point here is to talk uh, to Peter about what a fairly large independent bike shop group has done to, at this point anyway, remain open under certain conditions for the public and serving that public. And so I wanted to ask first, Peter, what is the current situation in Massachusetts and the Boston area? What are your parameters of what you're dealing with in terms of regulations and and the like? Well, the governor ordered a lockdown as of noon yesterday, and we had decided they were going to be closed yesterday anyway, just because our staff had been working so hard with the added stress of worrying about their own safety and in dealing with the public, despite very careful processes we've put in place. The uh, bike shops were not on the list of specifically essential businesses, but neither did they say that bike shops were not on the list and transportation needs were vaguely considered essential. And, but we know that we have a lot of a lot of customers who do depend on their bikes to get to work. And so we declared ourselves to be essential. We applied the state to be considered essential. And we have been reaching out to our local town and city governments to, because in Massachusetts, they're leaving enforcement to the local governments. And so we've been reaching out to our local governments to get them to agree that we are essential. And two of them have officially done so already. And that is great. To help our cause, just as one example, Yesterday evening, we happened to have an employee at one of the stores and a customer knocked on on the door and he was on his way to work and had a flat tire. So we took care of it for him. And turns out that he actually is an international news reporter uh, getting to his job 
to uh, report on international news, which is clearly a highly essential thing for the public these days. And he wrote us a very nice letter of appreciation. And that, that's the kind of thing that really persuades uh, all governments right. that, oh, yes, we don't know how they're going to be essential, but yeah, it's good that they're there for people. Yeah. So, you know, we're at towards the end of March now and spring has sprung. And I think the first evidence of this was it's not that long ago, only a couple of weeks. How did this get on Landry's radar and, and what were your first thoughts and first steps in terms of putting your current plan in place? Well, we have a couple of people within our company that are connected to the medical community. And you know, actually some of the leading epidemiologists in the country and the world are located here in Boston. So we were seeing things like that whatever numbers are being reported, it's probably about 100 times that bad. And look at how it's exploded, how rapidly it's exploded elsewhere. So we began to implement social distancing in our stores about two and a half weeks ago. But we've had to update our procedures almost daily because the things that seemed good enough were not good enough. Hmm. So it was, you know, we very quickly started trying to get some supplies and, you know, wipes and hand sanitizer. And, you know, we started saying, try to stay three feet away from customers. And before we decided, well, six feet really where we need to be going. And with customers in the store, that wasn't possible. We started restricting customers to, you know, no more customers in the store than there were sales staff to work with them. And that quickly got overrun. And we moved on to just caution tape to mark off about a 10-foot square space inside the door, and one customer at a time could come in there, and we would take care of them standing six feet back from the caution tape, you know, showing them what they're considering and getting them what they wanted. And yeah, so just daily daily increases. And I will say for any of those, any of you shops that are in areas where, oh, it hasn't hit us that badly yet, it has. This virus is everywhere. And the reason it doesn't look bad yet is because there's not enough testing going on. And if you wait until people are starting to die and wait until the hospital hospital beds start filling up to respond, you're going to end up as another New York and you definitely don't want to be there. So you want to start taking this very seriously right away and as a minimum, you know, establish all the procedures, including at least to the point of limiting the people inside the store at a time. You need to be in front of it. And, you know, if your state's not there yet, be a leader in your community in advocating for social distancing and your public, mm -hmm. you might get some pushback at first, your public will appreciate it mm -hmm. in time. Great. So I see some of your procedures and processes here on your website. Maybe with your permission, I'll just review them briefly and then uh, sure. you can chime in and, and sort of uh, you know, fill in the gaps. So yeah. the first step you call self-service shopping and how to do it is to go to Landry's.com or call for help for self-service shopping and you allow then pick up in store or ship to the home. So you are open for business in terms of sales and, and then need additional help. You say, you know, call to be placed in a one-on-one -on -one queue. I noticed that when you go to the website, a little chat box pops up and a staffer is there available to in real time chat with customers. And then the, the Landry's will call you when your sales slot is available. So that's the self-service shopping module. Anything to clarify there? Right. That's because we have a number of our sales staff are working from home. Mm -hmm. And so we get emails to them and they, they're able to uh, you know, use that system to, you know, so that if we have more than one person doing that, they can, they can take the people in turn. Mm -hmm. And you could also do that with a Google Sheet to just, you know, get people added onto there. 
and then they, they move to take care of them. By having us call the customer, we can have people do it from home with their own cell phone, which is mostly unlimited minutes, and it'd be pretty challenging to try to get our phone system extended out to reach, you know, to be on our on the Landry's phone system from from their homes. Right. Um, and we only just added the, the chat system, and in the last several days, we had just one person covering the chat, and he had up to six chat windows going at a time. Wow. We have not that that is seven stores, mm-hmm. but today I believe we're at two people covering the chat, and I have not heard how the volume is going. Mm-hmm. Given by the way sales are going, it looks like the public by and large agrees that we're an essential business. Yeah, yeah. So the the second module here is for service and repair. So you've come up with what looks like a pretty innovative way to do it. Step one is place your bike at the service parking area at the store entrance. Step two is fill out a service form at the store. Three is tag your bike with your name. And four, you will be contacted by the store with an estimate within 24 hours. And then five, the customer is contacted when the bike is ready for pickup. So really no face-to-face, sounds like anyway, no face-to-face service writer to customer in-person contact, uh, anything to add on the service check-in process. That's right. And you know, these crisis situations sometimes have you end up learning things. And, you know, it could be just that people are bringing in bikes they haven't looked at for a long time and they don't know what condition they're in. And so they err on the side of getting too much, sort of like people grab too much toilet paper when they can get yeah. it. Our average ticket with people just writing down what they want and leaving it before they talk to us has been bigger than it was with our uh, sales staff. And according to Trek, our our average ticket was already pretty big. So it does sound like we're learning that we have been underserving the public and our willingness to provide service for them. Mm-hmm. So that that's an important takeaway into the future. It is working well, and we're really getting overrun in a way that we never have before with service work. And yet part of it is that people are saying, oh, I better get my bike going, and they're bringing in bike that sat in the garage for eight years. uh, Okay. All right. So then once you've completed the repair or or service, there's the pickup process. That's a a three-step process. And so you'll be notified when the bike is ready. The customer is asked to call the store when you arrive and remain in your car. And then uh, second is let us know your the name and type of vehicle. And then step three is store personnel will retrieve the order and deliver it to you in your while you remain in the car, I guess. Yeah, yeah. that's a change for today, so I haven't heard how that's going. The okay. customers had been able to come to the door. We'd, uh, they'd step into that marked off zone. We'd roll the bike over to them, then they'd over to that zone, then they'd come over and take the bike mm-hmm. and leave. And we were um, so as to minimize the contact. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the goal is to have you know zero cases of contagion take place in any of our stores. And you just you really have to assume because people are contagious without symptoms, you just have to assume that everybody has the infection. It's the only safe way to right. approach it. Right. Right. And, and uh, uh, but the idea is that if they stay in their cars, then that provides even less opportunity. Or spread of mm-hmm. infection and we'll mm-hmm. you know if it's a vehicle that can fit in the trunk we'll put it in the trunk or whatever we may expecting that we'll be selling people some like strap-on bike carriers for their mm-hmm. for their cars mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll go out and install that for them and put the bike on that for them to take home there are you know a whole variety of uh whole variety of situations but the goal is to minimize the need 
for anybody to ever get within six feet of anybody. That's great. So is most of what you've experienced in terms of uptick or or action in service and repair, or are you still doing a significant amount of sales? Oh, no, we're doing a huge amount of sales. And I don't know if it's people thinking that, oh, I better get it now while there's a chance. But I, I, I think that it's more people who hadn't thought about riding a bike in the past. Mm-hmm. And now they're suddenly realizing that having a bike is going to be a great thing. A lot of competing activities have been shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't go to the bar and buy a lot of $6 beers, which can, uh, you know, you can spend the price of a bike every month that way. And uh, that's not going to be happening. Yeah. So you can't go to the movies. You, I mean, just you can't go to a concert. So many things you spend money on that you can't do now. That matter, you can't take a vacation. So that mm-hmm. of what uh, discretionary income there is, a lot more is going to go to bicycles. Mm-hmm. There are many people who, you know, would have taken public transportation sometimes, ridden their bikes sometimes to get to work. Well, you don't feel very safe taking public transportation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're using the bike. When they can. So there's likely to be a whole lot more ridership and a lot more interest in bikes from people that were never interested before. So there's a huge potential silver lining for us. And mm-hmm. so far that seems to be that seems to be what's happening. So and, it, it, and, it is a di- okay. I will say it's a different model mix. We're still selling a few road bikes. We're still selling a few high-end mountain bikes. The you know huge volume is going on in hybrid bikes, the recreational mountain bikes and kids' bikes are just, the numbers have been through the roof. Uh, Mm -hmm. Electric bikes have dropped way off for us, but today I see that we've sold four so far. So (laughs) it's about 1.30 here in the time. So that's that's a pretty strong start to the day for something that we thought had died. That's great. So I mean, I guess it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, customers arrive to a locked door. Is that correct? They do. We're trying to get them to have already made a tentative selection before they get there mm-hmm. so that we know what they're after. We'll have you know the accessories that they might need ready to line up to show them when they arrive. We might have already they might have already ordered what they needed installed on the bike so that we can get them in and out as quickly as possible. It's not warm enough yet that people are super comfortable waiting outside, although their cars should should be comfortable for the time that's going to take. We're trying to get it done with with a very minimum of customer interaction. And customers are very appreciative that we're making the effort to stay open. And so there's been no pushback at all about the inconvenience. You might get a little bit in the States where people don't yet know that they're going to get slammed with this. Mm-hmm. But that's mm-hmm. only you know three days to a week away at this point. So you, you really need to be getting ahead of it if you're in one of those areas. And as you start uh, learning how to, to upgrade your, your safety protocols, You'll be well served by that as each day goes by and you realize that you haven't gone far enough yet. So are there any restrictions yet other than the basic stay-at-home order? I know here in California, cycling was specifically allowed and and same with hiking until the trails became so crowded that it was impossible to keep the six-foot distance, uh, maybe a little easier on a bicycle. But uh, then they, the government started to shut down state parks and regular parks and beaches and piers. And because there are just so many people going stir crazy, staying at home, that they are looking for anything to get out. And it just when that happens in an area of our population, things get crowded. Have you experienced any of that in the Northeast? No. Well, we're, I think, about four or five days behind you. I do know there's a trailhead right near my house, and I walked past it the other day. 
and we were planning to hike that trail, but we just kept on walking on the street and went went to a different trail, which is not as well known. I'd never seen more than about three cars at that trailhead before, and there were 20. Wow, okay. I mean, that, that access is about eight or 10 miles of trails, so they would not be crowded. There's just not enough parking capacity at that trailhead to ever, ever get it crowded. Mm-hmm. That problem could be coming, but I, I think it's quite likely that because cyclists can disperse over a period of area of many miles, we're going to have a lot of miles of roadway being lightly used. So I think mm-hmm. that that by and large should be good for us. Suspecting that we may need to start reminding our enthusiast road customers that riding in a pace line may not be very safe. Yeah, You should probably leave at least 12 feet behind the rider ahead of you. And maybe maybe more than that. I mean, nobody knows, but you know, a lot of turbulence could keep any suspended particles up in the air for a while, and you don't want to yeah, encounter yeah. that. No, and, and given some of the groups I've ridden with, there's no shortage of liquid being expelled during certain times of the ride. So that's got to be especially concerning. Right. Yeah. Definitely need to put a stop to that. You know, until this thing is over, which is you yeah. know could easily be a year or more. Yeah. You mentioned that you hadn't heard any negative feedback. I know here there was a bar that stayed open on St. Patrick's Day and got just hammered on social media. You know, how dare you threaten the lives and all of that. You've had no negative yet, it sounds like. Very, very little. And that's partly because we've been trying to stay ahead of it. Mm -hmm. We've had pretty frequent updates on our website. I've been arguing not quite enough, and we haven't been rapid enough to modulate the tone. Mm -hmm. And right now, I'm saying that we don't want our update information that we're putting front and center on the home page to sound at all like we are trying to sell, trying to sound that we're trying to be here for you to meet your essential needs, and we're trying to serve our community as best we can. Not at all sounding like we're trying to be promotional of our of our store, and right. that, and stressing that we're you know making putting in procedures which we realize may be inconvenient, but we feel it's what's needed to be for, done for safety. So I think with that, we're kind of staying ahead of it. And I'm not personally involved with our Facebook. I don't use Facebook myself, but I understand that we're, we're getting some more content put on there so that kind of have a conversation going with, with our customers mm-hmm. and just keep stressing the message that this is a serious thing and we're taking it seriously and we take safety mm-hmm. seriously. And I think at this point, you just can't tell that message too much. And mm-hmm. I'm anticipating... You're looking, for example, at Korea, once they got actively clamping down, the infection rate and the rate of new infections did drop off quite dramatically. And life does return to a little bit less abnormal, I guess might be the way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, And as that happens, then we might want to sound more like we're promoting ourselves as a place to do business. But for now, it's all about we want to serve the public and we want to stay safe and put in safe practices. Is the underlying theme for our messaging. Bicycle Retail Radio is supported by our NBDA members. All our member benefits can be found at nbda.com. Join the NBDA today. Things are obviously changing quickly and almost daily. Anything you have tried as a business failed and you thought, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and the next day you changed it up. Any any things you've tried that didn't work? The, it's mainly that letting customers into the stores and trying to maintain separation, we found to be extremely challenging. 
you know, we had customers who even as we were asking them to stay six feet apart, would nonetheless just step towards us. And, yeah. you know, sometimes coming within two feet, you know, even with no coughing or sneezing going on and no symptoms, you know, two feet's just not, not a safe distance. Three feet is three feet is arguable, probably okay if there's no indication of sneezing or, or coughing or anything, but even there very briefly. And so yeah, so we we found that we just had to set up the caution tape to hold customers one at a time in in their section so that we could then stand six feet back from the caution tape. Mm-hmm. You know, there are plenty of things that we came up with better ideas. And yes, it's been at least daily that we're making changes. Mm-hmm. You know, often we've made changes two, three times during a day. Well, so that does lead me to a sort of an operational question. I've often marveled at multi-store locations being able to make the service and, and presentation uh, uniform among all the uh, locations, given the different styles of managers and all. How do you organize all of this to get everyone on the same page with seven stores? I assume you have seven managers and maybe a general manager or something. But could you describe how it is you go about bringing all these, probably have 50 or so employees, but onto the same page? We're having a phone call with about 20 of the leaders in the company. So, so store managers and some other key staff from the stores, our marketing people, our purchasing team, our, our you know internal IT people, the managers, the general manager, the finance department, and I've probably left out some, but mm-hmm. but a pretty good chunk of the leadership of the company. And we have a phone call every morning. And so we all call in it's say I think it's a go to M go to meeting phone call. There's you know other plenty of other ways to do that. And so we all call in the GM typically puts together a, an agenda, but everybody gets to speak up about what issues they're experiencing. And we talk about how did yesterday's changes work. Mm-hmm. So that gives a lot of opportunity to keep everybody together. That provides content for the people that handle the website to get the website updated with recent information that's accurate for all stores. We also, by the way, expect each store manager to make the decisions that are needed within their store. Just as the in a Navy, the captain of each ship is responsible for, for their ship, you know, each store manager is responsible for their store. And if things aren't going well and they need to just shut down until they can get things reorganized to be safe, then that's what we expect them to do. And they say, oh, gee, we should be doing this. This would be an improvement. We want them to just go right ahead and do it. And if it works out well, then they can report on that to the team the next day, and we can spread that out to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, other aspects there, I mean, this is really worrisome, stressful for the staff. Yeah. So it's really important that people can can voice their concerns. It's really important that we maintain a good, clear, confident, and positive attitude, and really instilling a sense of purpose. You know, why are we doing this? This is important for our communities. This is, you know, we're an important part of helping America and the world deal with this pandemic. And, you know, it is like a war and, you know, we're not on the front lines, but you know, we're like the supply people right behind the front lines. I really admire all of our healthcare workers who are very much in harm's way to help fight this. We're a little bit less so, you know, we're better off, we're safer than like supermarket workers. I mean, look at the danger they're in and yet they're showing up to work and helping people to get their food. 
and that's to be admired. And, and we believe that we're helping people both with their transportation, and we believe that you know, riding bikes is going to be a big part of what saves the mental health of, of tens of millions of Americans in the coming months. Mm -hmm. And that's important, and people like to be important, and it, uh, it helps give them reason to put up with it. But you have to be understanding that some people are, are, you know, really good, animated, and energized by being under pressure, by having to change daily and hourly, and coming up with solutions and sharing those solutions. And there are other people who get really worn down by it, and we have to be understanding of that. So just paying attention to the psychological health of the staff is really important, and being supportive is a big part of what goes on during those meetings as well. I've been uh, yeah. tasked with keeping up with what's you know, what's going on medically and academically, and what, what's the status of it. And I've got a bit of an edge because my wife is a doctor who works at Beth Israel Hospital, which is one of the, you know, amongst the big Boston hospitals, it's going to be coming under intense pressure. And it's already groaning with the lack of supplies. They're, uh, my wife's an oncologist, and just today they, they were deciding, okay, we're stopping all chemotherapy. The risk for a cancer patient for a chemo patient of getting coronavirus is so great that the benefit of the chemotherapy is not does not outweigh that. Yeah. yeah so, so I'm hearing a lot about what's going on in in the medical world, which is uh, mm -hmm. really how you know it's the potential collapse of our medical system is really where the the devastating consequences of this can come from, especially now that it seems that the Congress and Senate are going to get off their butts and actually do something about it is a uh, <laughs> is a big relief. Yeah. The real danger is that if the medical system collapses, then we're going to start seeing a lot of people dying, and that's going to be a that's going to be really damaging should that happen. Yeah, that's for sure, for sure. So I, I notice, of course, your website is the first place I went anyway to check out all this. It looks like well, as you said, you try to update it daily as things change. Are there any other forms of outreach that you've done to your customer base or potential customers? We did some emailing earlier. But at this point, I don't think that we have that much specific to us that we want to clutter people people's inboxes with. Yeah. You know, I know that banks need to be keeping their customers informed about, you know, we're closing the branches, it's drive-through only and by appointment, right? They need to be getting in front of letting people know about that. I think with a retail operation, not so much. And everybody has so much information that they need to be absorbing right now that I don't think we want to be pushing information right. at people. And so the website or our social media sites to uh, make it easily available. We're sort of having to abandon keeping the insides of the website updated. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're mainly just going with the update on the home page. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll be just referring people back to that, the, that single daily update rather than trying to keep it consistent throughout, which would just be an impossible task with the case of change right now. Right. Do you have a full-time marketing person handling this, or how do you go about that? Actually, we do. We have a full-time in-house okay. person. Okay. And keeping up the website is, is a big part of, of his responsibilities and also internal communication. Yeah, so we're working to keep make sure that you know, he's just focusing on doing a good job with that one daily update and don't be distracted by trying to carry things with consistency throughout. I mean, things like keeping our store hours updated on all places that we're supposed to be updating our hours. Mm -hmm. It's just not happening. 
So you have different hours per location? They're mostly the same. Okay. But one of the stores says, oh, no, we're, we're too tired. We're going to have to close two hours early today. Mm-hmm. Then we just get that put into that one one banner on the front page saying, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, you know, the Newton store is going to close at four today. Just make things as simple as we can for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that we're striking the, the right tone in the messaging to, mm-hmm. um, I mean, basically that's a, you know, conversation we have going on with our customers and we need to be really respectful of what their feelings are going to be and, uh, you know, make really sure that, I mean, you just can't afford to ever sound like you want to profiteer out of this thing. And, you know, at one point we were hearing con- concern about people over profits at a time when I'm saying profit, I'm worried about, can we keep the business alive? Right. We're still going to be here in right. two months mm-hmm. and nothing's aren't going as I expected. And mm-hmm. I mean, right now it looks like the, uh, it's looking more like the problem is going to be on getting supply because demand might be up, you know, by two days from now, that's going to be just so Wednesday. So two <laughs> days ago. Uh, <laughs> So that brings to a really important question. It sounds like your sales are at least holding or doing pretty well. That may or may not last. But just in terms of finances, a lot of stores have closed. A lot of stores reduced hours. I imagine the norm is probably reduced sales. Any advice on managing the financial side of a store? You may not have that problem, like I say, but you may. And uh, any thoughts on, on your cash flow and bill paying and that? Yeah, I assume it's coming. And so right after recording this, I I have another call coming up with some very smart people, and we're going to decide on some principles for how we manage moving forward. And, you know, number one, we have to take care of our our staff, our people. So we're probably going to say that no money goes out that's going to jeopardize having probably six weeks of payroll covered, just sitting in the checking account. We're going to, you know, things like landlords, you know, landlords should be in decent shape and they can't necessarily sustain a long period of not having rent coming in, but they should be capable of tolerating some. And a landlord that's managed their business okay, if they call their bank and say, hey, my tenants can't pay, what can you do for me? They'll immediately get from the banker, oh, we can do interest only for three months. That's not a problem. I'll fax doc or I'll email you the document that you can sign and email it back and we'll have that going for you. And that kind of thing, I my understanding is banks can turn around real, real quickly. Vendors, I'm assuming that all of our vendors are scrambling to line up financing right now, assuming that there's going to be a massive inability to pay as invoices are coming due. And so I am confident that they're all preparing to be as, as supportive as they can be. That being said, we need to be, I mean, there's going to be plenty of other people leaning on them as well. And so consistent with protecting our, our ability to pay payroll, when money's available beyond that, we should get the money that we safely can. They do need some money coming in. So when we have the opportunity to do that, we should do that. Don't think it's just a chance to beat up on them and talk to them. Be proactive at talking to people that you owe money to, to make sure that they're kept up to speed on what your situation is. And they're probably not going to roll out blanket policies, but they are probably prepared to have a number of things they can do to help. So, you know, landlords, you should be able to get some support from and vendors, I'm sure, are trying to provide as much support as they can. And that's likely to be quite a lot. And your bank, you know, your bank can't afford to lose you as a customer. So if you give them some idea of 
and especially as you get to the point where you have some idea of what things might actually be looking like, are you going to, how, to what extent are you going to be negatively impacted? And you say, okay, so here's what I think I'm going to need to get me through this. Chances are that the banking industry is going to be very inclined to be supportive, mm-hmm. um, especially it's, I'm sure if it's the local bank because they're really dependent on having a good economy in town and that, that's dependent on having good small businesses in town. Mm-hmm. And from what I'm hearing about the Federal Reserve, the banks won't have problems having access to cash. So as long as you've been a good business over the years, they're probably going to try to find a way to say yes, and they'll probably mm-hmm. succeed at saying yes to your request for extra financial support. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's been no details on it yet, but it sounds like the uh, Congress is coming through with a relief bill. Uh, I have no idea how that's going to impact it, but it will be. It is likely to be a bit of a lifeline for those of us who are in a who end up being really badly impacted mm-hmm. financially by this. So your priority is the employees. Have you had to? Hours would seem to have to be cut back for some, at least, you know, if you're not even running showrooms. How are you managing that? Is everyone getting their normal pay or are they some reduced hours? How are you making that decision? No, so far, everybody's been getting the normal pay. You know, we spent a lot of extra time cleaning everything up. And even when customers come into that quarantine zone, every time a bike comes in for service, we're uh, sanitizing it when it comes in before we handle it. There's a lot of extra work going on because of it. Uh, We have a lot of people redeployed at home Mm -hmm. because we have some people who just because they're concerned, we had one person who we had him stay home for two weeks because he'd been traveling. Mm -hmm. Somebody has any sort of a cold, just stay home for two weeks. We don't want to risk spreading it to other employees if you do in fact have coronavirus. And those people we've had, you know, manning the chat function or or handling phone calls. Mm So we have you know, a lot of work going on from diverse locations. And so, so far we haven't cut back on employment and we've yeah, been able to keep pay coming. And we hope to be able to do that because you know it's not like our employees are living high off the hog and can easily stash big chunks of cash aside yeah. to carry them through a rainy day. Yeah. Um, and at this point, I'm optimistic that it may not come to that for us, but you know, if it does, it sounds like everywhere is gonna have greatly stepped up on employment compensation. Mm-hmm. So that it, even if you do have to lay people off, they can, I mean, in Massachusetts now, you, you become eligible immediately instead of with a one-week waiting period. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the uh, relief bill that's, that's in the works is going to mandate at least a similar level of stepping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. So. That's great. So as this evolves in unknown ways, I guess it's impossible to predict the future, <laughs> but some of the future is probably predictable. Any thoughts from you on what you're looking for, what some of the decision points might be in the future, any, any things you're watching for? Well, I'm really watching for signs of what we've been doing with the social distancing and with the lockdowns or, or stay-at-home orders in various states, watching for signs that those are being effective and that we are getting a handle on this. So far, it appears that the, the thing is still growing exponentially in the U.S., but part of that could just be reflecting that testing is ramping up. And to the extent that it's testing is ramping up, that's really good news because that's a huge part of how we'll get a handle on it and get it tamped down and get people's attention as to where we stand and that you need to keep this up. But in all likelihood, even if these lockdowns succeed in having no new cases, there's still going to be enough virus around that we're going to be dealing with this for many months. 
and we're not gonna get back to completely normal. You know, what I'm hearing is until there's a vaccine developed, we're not gonna be back to normal. That's probably at least a year away still. Probably more likely 15 months from now before that, that's likely that there'll be a vaccine that's available all around. So yeah. we're gonna be dealing with this for a long time. It's quite likely that once we're able to get back to a sort of semi-normal or a new normal kind of situation where there's social distancing going on, continuously, but where there's not quite the same degree of fear. And we know that we've got a handle on it so that the hospitals aren't in danger of collapse. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then people will be moving about more. But I think that things like, you know, movie theaters, bars, sit down restaurants, they're anything close to their old capacity. I mean, they might reopen them with half the tables taken out so that you have much more separation between people. I don't know. But a lot of the things that compete for money with owning maintaining a bike are going to go away. So we will, in all likelihood, be pretty busy coming out of this. And so we need to prepare for that. We need to prepare to become more efficient than ever. And we need to, we're going to need to adjust to make people still feel cared for and loved when they come into our stores. And, you know, as it is now, if you're having a bad day, what's the best thing you can do? You go into your bike shop. And, you know, even if you go into your bike shop feeling real crabby, chances are they're going to cheer you up. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you go in because you had something go wrong with the bike and you're all, you know, customers come in all ticked off that we must, it must be our fault. And, you know, typically it only takes a few minutes and they find out, oh, well, relax here. We can take care of you. You know, we turn their bad day into or take on us into a good day and they love us forever. How do we keep that going when we can't get closer than six feet to them? New, fresh new challenges. But I suspect that we will find ways of dealing with that and come out ahead. So I, I think that once we get past the crisis aspect of this, and it's just how do we live with this, I think that does present a world of opportunity for, for the bicycle and for bike shops. Because, you know, it's often been said the bicycle is one of the greatest inventions of all time. You know, it's one of the simple devices that can save the world. And that's what we're doing. You know, in this crisis that I certainly never imagined we were going to be in a, in a situation like this. And yet the bicycle is emerging as one of the really important, simple things that can help us to get through this situation. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah. agree there for sure. The crisis, yeah. Notice the things that, gee, we could be doing this differently all the time, and that'll make make our lives better. Let us serve our customers mm -hmm. better and be more profitable while we do it. Yeah, so from someone in the far west part of the U.S. to someone in the pretty far northeast of the U.S., so <laughs> I want to wish you luck, of course, and best wishes from here and to all of us running um, out. involved in this. You know, let's hope for the best and prepare for, for a battle that we're just at the start of what it sounds like. So thank you very much, Peter, for sharing and opening up your, your thinking about all of this. And I've enjoyed talking to you. Any last thought or two that you've been itching to, so to say that I haven't asked? You know, as we lead our teams in our stores, we lead our, you know, we have to be leaders in our communities as well. I mean, there's, there's certainly portions of our communities for whom we're, we're sort of a center of activity. And so we need to be leaders. And, you know, everything that we know is wrong. The world has just changed very dramatically. So we just need to really focus on adapting and learning from what's going on, listening. And, you know, if we made a misstep, just say, sorry, we're doing our best. We're going to adjust. 
but you also need to, you know, especially if you're teams, you need to stay confident and upbeat while being attentive to anybody's safety concerns and, you know, just let them know that you care and let them know that you care, let them know that you care. And those are all keys to keeping your whole team upbeat. And the uh, that's really important as we move through this. Great. Well, thank you very much for the insights you've given and the thoughts you've shared. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do too. And thank you all for for having me and good luck, Peter. Well, thank you. And good luck to all of you out there in California and good luck to everywhere, everybody around the country. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. <laughs>